Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrisvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. God's Word. Father, we just want to thank you that you are the living God. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world 2,000 years ago and brought us hope where there was no hope. And we thank you for that. And Lord, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can steadfastly hope with anticipation that he will return and his kingdom will come in its fullness. So we're so grateful for that. And Lord, in the meantime, uh, Lord, help us to work out your love and your truth in our lives that would bring glory to your name. As we open your word now, we pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation of you, that each of us may know you better, that each of us today would be able to take a step nearer to you because we've learned something new about you or been reminded of something. So we entrust this time to you, Father. Help me to speak your words. Would you guide me? And I pray that those words that are in key would just really go deep into the hearts of those here today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks. Well, yeah, I've got them on this. Yeah. Well, we're all all um, coming to Christmas now, and there's adverts everywhere, isn't there? You know, on TV or radio, on the internet, on our phones, pop-ups, and um, all facing things, uh, decisions, some small, some big, in what we're going to do with our, our time, our money, uh, uh, our resources. And so, and we have people there wanting to, us to part of our money. They're wanting us to do the things they would have us do, persuade us to do things. And um, as I said, some, some may be significant, some, some not so. Uh, I knew a couple of people who went to Cuba uh, a few years back, and there was something different about Cuba, and they couldn't work out what it was for a day or two. And do you know what it was? There were no commercials, no adverts anywhere. We get so used to seeing them is that they couldn't, um, uh, couldn't figure what's different. The lack of adverts, commercials, things trying to persuade us to buy, do, or, or respond in some way. And so uh, we all face these challenges. And I guess as we sit here, what might persuade you today and, and um, as we run into Christmas and just in, in, in our daily lives? Are you a diehard loyalist that you'll only do things one way? You voted for the same party for 50 years and uh, you're not changing now? Are you a pragmatist? Recognize things change and we've got to go with the times. Do you make decisions based on, on your set of values? Are you a flip-flopper? You know, make a, a decision one week and, and change it around the next week. I guess we could all relate to some of these in our lives and um, in different areas. We uh, would take different positions on those. Just think for a moment about electric petrol cars, diesel cars. What are you persuaded by? Are you persuaded by uh, going electric? Did you know that there's a new fear uh, has come about since the introduction of electric cars. It's called range anxiety. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> about a fear of your battery running out. I know there's a couple here who almost had that, uh, that issue 
a, a while ago on their anniversary. Others are uncertain about the benefits and they love their petrol, diesel cars and don't want to give them up. What's going to persuade you in your decision? Well, because there's uh, issues around where we live, the countryside, the rural, are we going to live in a house or apartment? These are all issues that take up a lot of our time. They're big issues, and we spend a lot of time researching them, uh, what we're going to do on, on those things, and uh, big decisions. Other things aren't so important. Whether you, you prefer rock music or country music isn't going to impact your lives as much, is it? But when we go to a, a concert... It's very easy for us in the, with the big crowds and the music and all the emotions to get swayed. And it's very, very easy to start ch chanting things that you would never chant in a normal uh, everyday situation. But we can get carried away by our emotions. It's the same. Sometimes we've seen lots of um, protests going on in recent times. And you see signs up saying, toot if you support our protest. Have you seen those? I've seen quite a few of them. And you kind of feel a pressure, they're all waving at you, especially if, it's, if the traffic's heavy and you're going slow, that you need to toot your, your horn under that pressure of those around you. We all want to be popular, don't we? And sometimes we do things just because in the moment, that situation, it just seems easier to do. But those kind of decisions aren't going to change our lives massively, um, but they, they still influence on, on what we do. Think about election next year. Which party are you going to vote for and what's going to persuade you? Are you going to be persuaded by your own personal interests, things that the, the government might promise for you personally? Are you interested in economic issues, national issues, moral issues, or others? And people will weight those in making their decisions, what will persuade them to make a decision. Some people will just vote as a flip-flop. I voted for so-and-so last time, so I'm going to vote differently this time no other reason we get people like that we have many religions um, ar around the world which can, can make life confusing for some and some treat these as a consumer choice which one do I pick which religion will suit my lifestyle others may be torn by the, trying to understand the truth of each of these and emotions and, and traditions that are, we've, been, we've grown up in where do you think Jesus would have been on this one Uncertain? I think he'd have been a diehard loyalist on this issue. He was going to be faithful to his father, wasn't he? On other issues, Jesus often invented new or, or showed new ways to do things, which, which kind of blew us away. And so we're faced with decisions all the time. And, and uh, it's good to understand what persuades us when we make decisions, what presses our buttons, particularly when we're in pressured situations. And so we've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew, as I said, since uh, last, early last year. And Jesus said our choices when it comes to salvation do matter. Not just an issue of life and death, but Jesus would say it's about death and life. Because none of us cease to exist when we die. And so Jesus said think seriously about these. And so he said follow me. And he demonstrated how we should follow him, what it looked like. And we've gone through those in the various chapters. 
I said, uh, over these last 20 odd months. And so he showed what it was like in the kingdom. He said, that's coming. That's part of our hope, what that would look like. He talked about it in words. He demonstrated it in his care for others. And um, he also demonstrated it in the power that came from God, that he was able to do miracles. And the final act of the greatest demonstration of his power would be his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which uh, we're coming into now. And so that would be the, tr- the proof that Jesus is who he said he is. So in word, in deed, and in power, Jesus said, follow me. I am the way to God. Pretty pretty uh, narrow way Jesus said, I am the way to God. But he would demonstrate that, as we know. And so Alan last week was talking about Judas and about Peter and the decisions and what persuaded them in moments of great pressure. Well, Jesus has now come into um, um, a trial situation. So we want to pick up um, this passage from verse 11 of chapter 27. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. And while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governess. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered him, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Before we go on, just those last few verses, just to make a a side point that's important, is that people can use scripture to prove whatever they want. And and sadly, in the history of the Christian church, 
uh, people have used those, those scriptures to say that uh, the, the crowd said his blood be on us and our children. They use that as an excuse to persecute the Jewish people in various ways for the last 2,000 years and in ways Jesus would never have wanted them to do that. And so it's very easy to prove whatever you want from scripture and use these verses to say, let's kill the Jewish people, they're Christ killers. But sadly, that's part of our history and we can't deny it. But uh, we recognize that that's not what Jesus would be asking any of his followers to do. So the setting of, of, of this scene is Passover. We're all familiar with that and Easter. And this obviously comes from the time of Moses. And the Romans had agreed out of tradition to release a prisoner at every, pastor, every Passover to gain favor with the people because it was a very sensitive time of year where the people wanted their freedom just as Moses had brought freedom to them. And so Pilate asked a highly emotive question at this big festival. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Probably unwise, emotionally charged crowds remembering how people had been executed in previous Passovers by the Romans, would have been reminded of their brutality during, the, during those celebrations. And that pain would have probably been resurfaced. And so the crowd had a choice. They were presented two sons of the Father. Jesus Barabbas means uh, salvation, son of the Father. Jesus means salvation. And you had a son, a son of the Messiah, the Son of God, Son of the Father. Which one are you going to choose? And so here we had this Jesus Barabbas who was offering them freedom. But you could do whatever you want. Just buy in to getting rid of the Romans and just live what, the life that you want to lead other than that. Jesus talked about the wide road. And in, case in one sense, choosing Jesus Barabbas was taking that ride, wide road. He just wanted independence so that everyone could do whatever they wanted, just get rid of the Romans. That was one choice, and it was a choice that many of them wanted because they wanted to get rid of the Romans. Then there was a second choice, Jesus, Messiah, who called on people to change their lifestyles, to repent, to offer forgiveness, to change their lives, to show mercy to their enemies, complete opposite of Jesus Barabbas. He exposed uncomfortable, uncomfortable truths of the hypocrisy of many of the uh, Jewish people and their leaders. He said uh, uh, faith in him was a matter of life and death, to depend on God. He said, take the narrow road. So the people there were confronted with this. What did the leaders do? They persuaded the crowd to choose Barabbas get rid of Jesus what did Pilate's wife say he's an innocent man Pilate was supposed to be the upholder of justice he knew Jesus was innocent but what did Pilate do he acted in his own self-interest and gave the crowd what they wanted protect his status protect his job so he believed one thing and yet did another. He was persuaded to drop justice so that he could preserve his way of life. And all this crowd, all these Jewish leaders, are all out for themselves ultimately to get 
their decision go their way to suit their lives. The only one who was interested in other people at this time was who? Jesus. He had his eyes on others. So difficult, so, so different from the people there. He was looking out for the interests of others. One verse that helps us try and figure out why were they have made such a decision is that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, to have Jesus executed. The word for persuaded in, in Greek is just payfo. It doesn't mean much to us, but it's, it's right through the uh, New Testament. It's to convince someone what they believe and also how to act in a particular situation. Paul was described of Paul many times. When he was uh, being uh, stoned, the, the Jewish crowds, uh, Jewish, the Jewish people who were there persuaded the crowd to stone him. They won the crowd over in similar tactics that was going on here. Paul, though, used the scriptures to persuade people in a synagogue of the truth of who Jesus is. He did it in a right way. Paul was so convinced of who Jesus is, he was willing to give his life up and all his priorities uh, to follow Jesus. And then he handed the baton over to Timothy right at the end and said, Timothy, Timothy, you be persuaded. You be convinced of who Jesus is. And so Timothy would have that conviction too. And so this is an important verse because it's at the heart of what goes on, on here. We might look at this situation and think, you know, how stupid. They, Jesus had just raised Lazarus the week before with God's power. How could they do this? But we ought not to be fooled. How easy we can be persuaded to do foolish things. If you just look at the statistics on scams, financial scams, internet scams, how many people are being called out by scams and think how foolish I was. It's so easy to get sucked in. Just think of the last two years. We've had the, the pro-vaccine camp and the um, anti-vax camp. Led to highly charged situations and gatherings. Opposing one another with uh, persuasive arguments. Truth claims made. And the pressure of crowds and those emotions can often overshadow who we are, that we are called to be Christ-like, to show what Jesus is like. And we can forget that in the emotion of an issue that might be uh, important to us, and we forget to love one another. How easy it is for that to happen. And so we ought to build foundational convictions on Christ-likeness, not on emotions, which are helpful, but they don't tell us what the real situation is. Let's look at some of those persuasive techniques that the Jewish leaders used. Things haven't changed in 2,000 years. Three ways that the Jewish leaders managed to persuade the crowd. One was placement, choosing a right time and the right people to help condemn Jesus. These are some of the scriptures. They looked, the Jewish leaders looked for a way to arrest Jesus, afraid of the crowd at that time. Jesus said, why couldn't you have arrested me when I was teaching openly in public? 
they had to find a couple of, of witnesses who were willing to lie about Jesus to get their way. And when did the court case happen with Jesus? Before the courthouses were open early in the morning. And so they engineered the situation to make Jesus vulnerable. Their approach, too, is let's present Jesus as a blasphemer, upset the crowd. Let's worry Pilate by saying he wants to be a Roman king. Jesus had never said that. And they, they said anyone who claims uh, to oppose Caesar ought to die. And they made the crowd worried about their futures. And so the chief priest said it's better for one man to die than the whole nation to perish. perish. We need to protect ourselves. How easy it is for a crowd in the emotion to think about self-preservation. And so the leaders manipulated the crowd in order to do what they wanted. Selecting words. As I said, the, the crowd, the, um, the chief priests used words to persuade the crowd. And um, ultimately, Jesus, uh, Jesus was silent while the leaders use words to manipulate so that the crowd and the people would give in to the demands and they would remember the brutality that the Romans had shown. And so the leaders manipulated the people into saying, we want Jesus to be crucified. How easy that is, how easy it came off. Didn't take much. So, one thing that is important is Pilate had a belief, but his convictions didn't support that belief. What is your conviction about Jesus? Is he one way to God? Is he the only way? We can't flip and flop on these kinds of issues that are important. Jesus calls to defend his truth claims that he is the only way to God. What is a conviction? A conviction is something I know to be true. Words without actions and actions without words are insufficient. Conviction is to see our maturity grow, that what we think about, what we meditate on, we start to speak out in our lives and that our actions are a result of what we've been thinking what we've been doing. That's what integrity is, is when our, our minds, our actions, our behaviors are all in a line. It's the opposite of a hypocrite, uh, which Jesus had a lot to say about. And when we take time to do this, our, our, our lives become deeply rooted. So deep convictions as a Christian, we need to read, read, read scripture. Or listen to it if you find it hard to reading. But I'd encourage you to read. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing uh, about the word of Christ. It is birthed, nurtured and sustained by hearing the gospel again, again and again. Disciples aren't born disciples, they're made. And it takes time and effort. But that's where your convictions are deeply rooted. We all have children, most of us have children. Imagine if we left them in school and said, you're just going to stay in school. You're never going to have to go and get a job, never going to have to work. We'd never let that happen, would we? We'd never let our children stay in school. It might be cool, eh? 
stay in school, no responsibility. But we want our children to mature, want to grow up. And God wants that of us. He wants us to mature as his followers. And that's part of God's purposes for us to mature. And part of our understanding of, of our convictions is our faith. We say, yeah, our faith is in Jesus. But sometimes the reality is that we put our faith in the church. And when that happens, things will go wrong because the church is not perfect. And so people stop going to church. They've been hurt by the church. So we say our faith is in Jesus, but our behavior is we respond to what happens in the church. And it's sad when we don't do things the right way. But we need our faith aligned, not to the church, but to Jesus and to be persuaded by him. So when we are hurt, there's a way to navigate that. And we don't upset Jesus by not coming to church. We blame him for what others have done. It's hard work following Jesus. He said it would be. But the rewards are eternal life. It's not a lifestyle choice. To follow Jesus is life itself. Justice was a belief of Pilate, but it was not a conviction. Do you believe in Jesus? But you're not persuaded to follow him because you have a competing conviction. Where do you sit on that? It's a good time to reflect on these things as we come to, to Christmas. To see Jesus as a helpful lifestyle choice or a comforting tradition is to misunderstand who he is. Our faith isn't in that kind of Jesus. Our faith is in the, the Jesus we get to learn about in the Bible. That's why we need to spend time in growing to understand who he is and what he's like. We talked about um, Peter last week. And this was what Peter said. Oh, sorry, this was, um, this was an encounter Peter had when things weren't going as well as expected and they were getting confused by who Jesus was. And there was a time when Jesus talked about bread, eating bread and, and, and drinking blood. They got completely confused. And many disciples turned away from following Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter, do you want to leave too? He asked the 12. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But Peter like Pilate, had a fear of self-preservation in a moment of pressure. Natural fear. He denied Jesus. Peter believed in Jesus, but his conviction waxed and waned. But fast forward a few decades. After the resurrection, Peter is a man of conviction. And these are some of Peter's last words. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And so before Peter dies, we see his, tra his character transformed. Peter is persuaded. Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man. His convictions dissolved his fears, threats, because now he understood, understood who Jesus is. It took while, a while for Peter to get there. It takes us a while to get there. But with the help of Jesus, he's in the business of changing and transforming. 
And Jesus promises us the same kind of help, that peace of God. It's one of transformation. And so, what persuades you? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? As I said, integrity is when our, our beliefs and our actions are in line. Jesus said to Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to him. What did Pilate do? He walked away. One of the big issues of life. He didn't want to hear Jesus' answer. And so as we think about the gospel that we've gone through, how ought we to respond? What are we convinced by? Can you think of examples where uh, your conviction has seen belief in Jesus turn into action. I remember a, a situation, I was uh, in, in a work situation and my boss didn't like one of my colleagues and he sat me down and asked me to sign a letter saying that my boss was incompetent. And uh, Sorry, that my colleague was incompetent. It was pretty scary to do that. But I couldn't sign that letter regardless of what, how the boss responded. And so we get those situations. What are we going to do? My conviction was I can't do that, regardless of the consequences. There are people here in this church who have quit jobs because of their convictions, turned down good job offers, job offers because of their convictions, which are rooted in Christ. What persuades you in those big decisions? Could others say they've seen changes in your life. The gospel is about transformation. I had someone come up to me um, the other week and say, they're not a Christian, but say they had seen transformation in someone. It's about following Jesus. What changes are going on in your life? Are you seeing the power of God at work in your life? He's meant to be at work in all our lives. If, not, if you're not maturing, what needs to change? God doesn't want to leave children in the kindergarten. He wants us to grow up. And Peter's belief turned into actions. And that was the result of his maturing. And as he's transformed, fear evaporated in his life. And let's remember this, this last verse here. Here is that faith is not just about what we believe in. As James said, the half-brother of Jesus, faith is putting things into action that God shows us. Now, we're going to be, um, as I said, we, we've all faced some challenges. The gulf between our society and Christian values is widening. As the, the, those, those gaps widen, what are you going to do when you face situations where there's pressure on you to conform to what the government is asking you to do? Maybe against your convictions. Are you preparing for such a day? People in this church are already facing it. In our schools, in medical, medical, medical um, centers, hospitals? What persuades you when you're confronted with a choice? Are you gonna be ready to choose Jesus? You may say it in, in, in words, but will your actions follow through? And I'm speaking to myself here as I say this thing. Say this, what are we gonna do? And so we're called to mature, to grow. And so that's part of our challenge here as we come to the gospel or end of the gospel of Matthew. What's it done to your life?
We were called to grow and grow together. And so as we've talked about the, the, these topics that Jesus has raised, um, what does it mean to you and us collectively as it's God's family here? Well, I love this verse that's been speaking to me in, in these recent, recent weeks. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing, which means guiding, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's my job, Tom's job, the job of the elders to encourage, to facilitate that. But it's also your responsibility to learn, isn't it? To grow. But Jesus says, I will be with you. And so I'd encourage you as uh, you go about your week, think about how Jesus sits in your week. I want to invite the worship team up now. But what I love about the story of Peter, David, Paul, Moses, they were all flawed people. You look at their lives, you think, how on earth could they have got to the positions that they went to? But Jesus, Jesus was in the business of changing and transforming. And he wants that for each of us. And he wants us to grow as his family. Isn't that wonderful? It should inspire us. Because Jesus loves you, each of you. And he is committed to you.